We've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew for, uh, I think this is week 14, and so we are uh, about one-third of the way through. So (laughs) we might get through the book of Matthew before Jesus comes back, but we'll see. Uh, So we are looking at Matthew chapter 9 today, And, and so just a quick recap uh, Matthew uh, 7 ends with Jesus descending from uh, where he just delivered the Sermon on the Mount. He encounters someone in the beginning of chapter 8, who a man who has leprosy. He heals this man and sends him on his way to new freedom and uh, in a new life. And so it's beautiful. And then he, he just starts performing miracle after miracle after miracle all through chapter 8. Uh, all through chapter 9, are there's just amazing, notable, incredible miracles of Jesus. And, uh, and I want to actually highlight two of those today. And uh, these two miracles are separate, but they're sort of intertwined. And uh, they'll be familiar to you. And, uh, and so when Matthew talks about this, he documents this, uh, this is uh, his his version is extremely abbreviated, and uh, he gives the most brief account of what happens. And so uh, today, during our series through Matthew, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Luke's account, because uh, he gives more detail. And, uh, and I would like to look at some things. Now, we'll refer back to what Matthew writes, but uh, I want to start in Luke's account. Uh, and so this is Luke chapter 8. I know we left the chapter number off the, on the slides. I apologize. But it is chapter 8 and verses 41 through 56. I'm going to read this. Again, this is familiar. And then we'll talk about that, uh, this story today. This is what it says. There came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. Uh, But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people were all crowding, they're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling, fell down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. And she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he, had still, he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and Jane, uh, John and James, the girl's father and mother. And they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, Stop weeping. She's not died. She's asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that, that she had actually died. And However, he took her by the hand, calling, uh, called and saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. She got up immediately. 
and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. Um, two stories uh, forever entwined and uh, powerful, powerful stories. Um, it starts with a temple official named Jairus. Uh, the temple official was basically, he was the building manager for the synagogue, for the temple. And so he oversaw, he had a lot of authority. He wasn't a minister per se, but uh, he did oversee a lot of the things that took place in the temple. And so he made sure to secure everything that needed to take place for everything that happened, the, atten- the temple, he took care of the temple. And so he was uh, in a place of authority. And so he throws himself before Jesus pleading and begging because his daughter, and the way that the the language is used here, it it doesn't just mean that she's been sick for a while and that she could die. Uh, What's being said is that she is on her deathbed. I mean, she is moments from dying. In fact, the way that uh, Matthew puts it in in his gospel is that she's dead. So he fast forwards to the ending. Or he just, the language is, the, the interpretation is a little complicated and tricky in, in saying that this she's at the end is uh, often interpreted as she is dead. And so, but she is certainly in a place where she is, she's, she's almost dead. And so uh, on, that, on his way to, uh, to see her and hopefully heal her, he is fighting his way through crowds of people because the word has gotten out. He's been performing all these miracles. Uh, He's he's teaching this amazing message that has never been heard before. And uh, and people are crowding in. And so he is making his way through crowds of people. If you've ever been to a theme park, have you been to Dollywood and trying to get to the uh, whatever the, the big mountain space coaster, whatever it's called, and you're trying to get through all the crowds of people and they're just kind of, everyone's uh, taking up space and you're just kind of shimmying your way through. That's what Jesus is experiencing. Tons and tons and tons of people crowding around him, reaching out to him. And, uh, and, and so he is on his way to deal with a 12-year-old who is dying when a woman fights her way through who has a 12-year-old problem. She's been suffering with an issue, a hemorrhage, uh, an issue of blood for 12 years. And, uh, and, and as the Bible describes it, she has been looking everywhere for any sort of relief, uh, answers, uh, healing. She has spent all of her money on doctors. And, uh, and to this day, she still has seen no change whatsoever. In fact, it's gotten increasingly worse. And so she fights her way to get to Jesus because she's heard this guy, if he touches you, you're healed. He's touched paralytics. He's touched people who have had all kinds of different issues, maladies. He's, he's released demons from people. He's, he's, he's allowed people to be free from that. He's, he's, he's cleansed a leper. And so if maybe if I touch him... The same will be true, and I'll be healed. So she is desperate. She's spent everything. She's tried everything. This is a last resort, and she's pressing through, desperate to touch this man. And all she can get, as close as she can get, is maybe even the tassels on the edge of his, of his robe. 
the very hem, the very edge, barely grazes his robe, and immediately she is healed. Um, Now, it's important to note that according to the Levitical law at the time, uh, she was hemorrhaging continually, so she would have been uh, ceremonially unclean at all times. And so she should have, according to the law and according to uh, the agreed-upon standards of the day, she should have been away from any sort of crowds of people. Because not only is she ceremonially unclean because of her issue, uh, anyone that she touches is then, therefore, also ceremonially unclean. So her uncleanness is making other people unclean as she touches them. Now, surely, fighting through this crowd of people, she's touched like everybody. And so she is causing some issues uh, in terms of the Levitical Levitical law here. And so uh, that is probably why when uh, Jesus asks, who touched me, and everyone's denying it, and say, I didn't didn't do it, uh, she's hiding in the background. And the Bible says, finally, she's, she realizes there, he's not going to let go of this. He's not going to stop until he figures out who this is. And so she comes forward. And the Bible says she's trembling. Why? Because legally she's in trouble. This, she did something wrong, even though something right happened for her. Now, I, I would say that the, the uncleanness that she represents is an integral part of this whole story. It's important to note this because it represents something and it foreshadows something that Jesus is doing. And so I want to refer, I don't have this for a slide, but I just want to refer to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah and uh, chapter 64. Uh, There's a statement that uh, represents where we are without Christ. We have all become like one who is unclean in all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Now, this is a more graphic statement than is translated, uh, but what this tends to represent and, and what's being alluded to here has to do with minstrel rags and has to do with uh, what we're talking about with this very woman, her uncleanness because of her hemorrhaging. And here's a statement that we're all her. We're all unclean, and our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our righteous deeds, our attempts at righteousness, our, our attempts to uphold the perfect standard of a perfect God is trash, is, is worthy of being thrown away. And so under the law, her hemorrhage made anyone she touched unclean. But here's what's being foreshadowed. His bloodshed makes everyone clean. So because of her hemorrhage, everyone she touches becomes unclean, but he has come to shed his blood in order to purify, to make clean anyone and everyone who believes. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 says this, now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, removed from, separate from God, have been brought near to him by the blood of Christ. 
for he himself is our peace. Whereas her issue of blood would cause her to remain far off, separate, his bloodshed brings us near to him. Jesus could have easily kept going after the transaction of healing happened for this woman because she came, what she came for, she got. And keep in mind, and I cannot, this, this story is so hard to kind of wrap your mind around because all I can think about is Jairus this whole time. I, I cannot help but put myself in the shoes of Jairus who is watching his 12-year-old only child pass away before his very eyes and he runs to find the one hope that she has and he stops. Now, what's wrong with this is that he didn't need to stop. She got what she came for. Problem solved. Fixed it. Keep going. You ever heard of multitasking, Jesus? But he stops. And this is, I want to refer to Matthew's gospel here. And he puts it a very certain way that's quite beautiful. This is Matthew 9, verses 20 through 22. Uh, A woman who'd been suffering from hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. Now, she touched the hem of his garment. She was unclean. Isaiah 61 talks about us being robed in a robe of righteousness. So her uncleanness met his righteousness. And his righteousness was greater than her uncleanness. She didn't make him unclean. He made her clean. That transaction happened. The power left his body. He said, I felt the power leave me. But as Matthew put it, he stopped and he turned around to see her, to face her, to spend time with her. And I think it's ironic that here is Jairus begging him to come heal his daughter. And yet Jesus uses that same terminology. He calls this woman daughter. This is my daughter too. And he spends time with her. And I think something that is so important to realize and consider here is that so much of Christianity, the way it's presented to us, and even the way that we begin to believe it, and I would say the, the way that we begin to function within Christianity is quite transactional. And we find ourselves seeking Jesus' hand all the time. I need help. I need healing. I need you to intervene. I need you to fix this. We seek his hand. We seek what he can do for us. But here's Jesus saying, okay, I'll heal you. But I want to show you my face. I want to show you relationship. I want to show you love and compassion and concern that I am intimately involved in you and caring for you in your life. I love you and it's personal. So much of Christianity is reduced to being this transactional kind of thing where we're just we're trying to appease 
and we're trying to appease so that we can get what we, what we need, what we want. And here's Jesus modeling, you're, but you're my daughter. I want a relationship with you. I want to connect with you. It was so valuable and so important to Jesus that he connect with this woman on a personal level that the chaos and the stress and the anxiety of an imminent death coming for a young girl didn't, that, that did not make him move faster. A life and death situation did not compel him to speed up. Jesus healed a 12-year-old problem in this woman on his way to, to see and ultimately uh, resurrect a 12-year-old girl. The number 12 obviously stands out here. There's a reason for the number of 12 being mentioned a few times. In fact, the number 12 comes up 187 times in Scripture. Significant. And what it represents, a lot of numbers have meaning and representation in in the text. And you pick up a theme. And the number 12, if you think about it, uh, Jacob had 12 sons who uh, represent 12 tribes. Jesus chose 12 apostles, disciples. The number 12 represents this idea of of, uh, order government. It represents kingdom. It even has ties with this idea of covenant. So in the story, Jesus is not only healing two individuals, answering the prayer of multiple people, performing miracles. He's he's letting us see a picture, a glimpse of his kingdom coming and his will being done. This is how his government works. This is how his kingdom works. And what that looks like is our righteousness, which is filthy rags, we, we try to fix that issue. We try to fix the issue that we have that we're not righteous enough or we're not holy enough or we're not clean enough. And we seek every opportunity. We look for every avenue to do that as the same, the same way the woman did. She looked at every avenue, every doctor. She spent all her resources. No amount of money, no amount of effort, no amount of seeking is going to bring us one step closer to cleanliness or right standing. We exhaust every option. That is self-salvation and it is a fool's errand. It doesn't work. So Jesus is painting this picture of how it actually does work. Because of her issue of blood, the world sees her as unclean. But because of Jesus' blood, we're made completely righteous. The book of Isaiah also says that because of our sin, he can't turn his face towards us. He has to turn his face away from us. But here is in this story, Jesus turns his face towards her. Because it's a new covenant. It's a new order of the day. It's a new kingdom. It's a, it's, it's a new way of living. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, he quoted David. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Which is to say, why have you turned your face from me? He felt that rejection so that we never will. He, he, he felt the face of God turned away from him so that he could turn his face towards us. Jesus' death and resurrection means that we now experience life through death. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, back to Ephesians 2. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, we were dead. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's the beauty of this whole story. This woman has an issue of blood. And then this young girl dies. She's dead. You know, he says to the family, she's just sleeping. He's, he's using terminology and, and people laugh because it's ridiculous. It's like, we know that she's dead. It's like, no, 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 she's sleeping. Meaning that she can be revived. She can be made awake. Jesus resurrects the dead. So you have this story, these two stories intertwined, unrelated, seemingly unrelated, about a woman with a 12-year-old problem and a young girl who's 12-year-old who dies. You have an issue of blood, and then you have death and resurrection. You have bloodshed, death, and resurrection. This is painting a picture of what's to come. That Jesus, he, he cleanses us with his blood. He makes us righteous before God with his blood. And he resurrects us to new life, to eternal life, because of his death and resurrection. Jesus reunites this girl with her father. In the same way that he reunites us with our heavenly father through his death and resurrection. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'd like to consider one more thing. That's sort of the 30,000-foot view of the story. And there's so much more to it. If we had more time, there's so much more um, stuff underneath the surface that points to Jesus, that points to our reality in Christ. So that's sort of the the elevated 30,000-foot view. I want to look at something from the ground level that's extremely daily for us. And that is this reality. Jesus is obviously not in a hurry. Though we are, Jesus is not. There is a pace to to grace. Matthew 11 in the message translation written by Eugene Peterson, it's beautiful, talks about the rhythms of grace, which is so neat to, to consider, but I'll even go a step further and say that, yes, there are rhythms to grace, but there's also a pace to grace. This situation, as I said earlier, with with Jairus and his daughter is life and death. This is not pretty dramatic. This is not kind of serious. This is life and death. And for whatever reason, even life and death did not cause Jesus to fast forward. Um, I am 
tragically impatient. I find myself being anxious about pretty much everything. I did this the other day. Um, I was worried about something. I had something in my mind that I knew needed attention or needed me to fix and come up with a resolution to. And then I forgot what I was thinking about. And now I'm double anxious because what was it that I was worried about? Now I'm worried about forgetting what I was worried about. And so I'm like, now I'm really worried. I'm like, what kind of nonsense is this? It's almost like Jesus took that worry from me. It's like he, I, I didn't mean to cast my care, and I did. I just forgot it. The, the, the anxiety and the, the, this compulsion to hurry, make a decision, got to choose, got to make, make a choice, got to make it happen, got to close the deal, got to push for that, I got to change this, I got to hurry up and modify that, I got I to get on it, I got to get going. That compulsion comes from a place, worrying, anxiety, fear, that is fueled by coming from a place of, I'm in the driver's seat. This is all riding on me. If I don't, who will? There is, a, um, there is certainly a move in our modern society towards more and more self-interest, being more and more egocentric, being more and more captivated, consumed by self. Um, That is a, a social pressure. That is a social norm. It's almost like you're a weirdo if you, if you don't go that way. I can't tell you how many times people have looked at me as I hold the door open for them as if I'm going to steal their purse as they walk through the door. I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is, this is fine. It's like, what do you want? I was at uh, Jersey Mike's the other day. And uh, I was getting a sub sandwich. And uh, I was in line, hadn't ordered yet. And this, this, uh, this lady came in and she was just kind of standing there in the middle of the restaurant, just staring at the, the, the sandwich artists. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what you call them, but uh, the baristas of sandwiches. So she's staring at them. And, and finally, they're like, can I help you? And she's like, I ordered online. And she didn't know what to do. And so I said, well, I said go in front of me. And I, 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 I did the universal, <laughs> here's a space for you. Merge into the traffic here. You can go in front of me in line. She looked at me like I was dressed like Richie Rich. <laughs> like I was just this horrible human being. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just people are very suspicious because they're not, we're so used to just being concerned. I do me. I do my thing. Everybody else, get out of my way. Don't inconvenience me. Don't get in my way. I'm taking care of me. You take care of you. We'll all just be happy making sure that ourselves are taken care of. That is a way of life that creates uncertainty and pressure and nervousness 
and anxiety and worry because all of this is riding on my shoulders. If I'm going to be happy, it's riding on me. If I'm going to be fulfilled, it's riding on me. If, if, I'm going to, if my life's going to be worth living, I've got to get to work. And, and maybe, maybe I've got to work harder than I'm working. And meanwhile, this woman with a hemorrhage realized at a certain point, there's not enough money, there's not enough resources, there's not enough answers, there's not enough time, there's not enough ideas to resolve what she's dealing with. And may we all find that same conclusion. It's never enough. You can spend all the money you got. You can get more money and spend that too. No amount of Amazon boxes on your front doorstep is going to make you happy. No amount of promotions, no amount of zeros at the end of your bank account, no amount of cars in your driveway, no amount of kids, no amount of, no amount of accomplishments, no amount of days off, no amount of, uh, no, no matter the amount of vacations that you take. There's an old saying, wherever you go, there you are. And so we're, we're, we're not dealing with circumstances that need to be aligned so that we can finally find rest. The circumstances aren't the issue. The Bible says, what is a profit a man to gain the whole world, to get it all? But forfeit his soul, where actually that's the answer. It's something quite internal. And it's, quite some, it's something quite eternal. It is a connection with Jesus. A face-to-face with him. This girl died because Jesus was not moving fast enough, but her death was not the issue. Because Jesus has overcome death, hell, and the grave. He's, he's bigger than death. I, I think that it's easy to get caught up in this, the metronome, the pace of this world. There's a, there's a metronome that's always going, and it's frantic, and it's chaotic. And here's, uh, I'll refer back to Ephesians chapter 2. In Christ, you have been formally, you were formerly far off. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. He's our peace. Which means I can be anxious for nothing. Which means that any cares and concerns I have, I can cast them upon him because he cares for me. My, my prayer through this week was that we begin to slow down. And in slowing down, we trust him. We trust him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We trust him to supply for us what we can't supply for ourselves. We, we trust him to freely give to us what we can't earn, what we can't secure for ourselves. Jesus isn't in a hurry. Jesus isn't stressed. As he is, so are you. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. He himself is our grace. He himself is our fulfillment. He himself is our righteousness. He himself is our salvation. He himself is everything that we need. We have everything we need in Christ. It's almost like we spend so much time running that we, ref- we forget that we're yoked with Christ. He's like, guys, I got it. I do the heavy lifting. You're good. Now, I want to I qualify this before I, I end because I think it's 
common for people to jump to conclusions and say, well, that means we don't do anything. That means no work, right? You just want us to sit around and be lazy, this, this sloppy agape stuff, this, this license to do nothing. No, I, I, I think work is important. I think doing hard things is part of why we're here. I think we're called to live and walk by faith because living and walking by faith is it's uncomfortable. It's not convenient. It's not easy. But it's complete and total dependence on God who does through us. He has prepared for us good works that we should walk in them. But I want to explore that for one second. He's prepared good works beforehand. Not that we run for them. Not that we, we hurry up to find them. But that we walk in them. In peace. In faith. In grace. So yes, we're called to do good things. Do good deeds. Work hard. I work hard for the money, so you should better treat me right. To do good things, to, to work out this amazing salvation that we have, to, to, to do difficult, challenging things. But the doing is not securing us anything. We don't do in order to gain. We've already gained. That's why we do. We're not working for salvation. We're working from it. We're not working for forgiveness. We're working from it. We're not working for approval. We're working from it. In fact, that grace is the very thing that's meant to compel us. That love from God is the thing that's meant to compel us. Let everything you do be done in love. That gives supernatural energy and drive to what you would normally have to try to pull from some reserve tank of your own. Not doing our own strength, but because of the grace of God, that's why I do. That's what Paul said. I, because of God's grace, I work harder than all of you. He's almost bragging. He's like, I outwork every single one of you. But then he tells us where that comes from. It's not me. It's not my own strength. It's because of his grace. It compels me. To do the impossible. So my encouragement is this. Slow down. uh, To to go along with my outfit in the 90s, take a chill pill. (laughs) Relax. Breathe. It is finished. God has done all the heavy lifting. He's not in a hurry. He's not stressed. And you can trust him. To lead the dance. To lead us as we're yoked with him. To take us where we need to go. If you're facing a decision right now that, that is, is pushing you to move fast, I would say hit the brakes. And let God do his thing. Trust God to leave. He leads us by still waters. Follow your peace. He himself is our peace. It doesn't say he himself is our stress. He himself is our fear. He himself is our anxiety. He himself is our worry. No, he's our peace. Follow that. Be still. Know he's God. Know he's in control. And let him lead you by his Holy Spirit.